0: It's all for one, and it's one for all. Let's go. Here we are, all for one, and one for all. We're turning that. We'll fight, we're fighting
1: standing, and we stand tall. There's nothing else for us to say, so we came to one. We're telling here we go. Yeah, this is the time that we
2: all been waiting. No the moment all the nay say been hating no. on. See they've been talking down on the simplexin. It'll take more than that for you to stop a Houston Texan. A lot of teams talking tough and can't back it up. No, but not the boys on curtain, right, said so you can back, back it up. I am young Ari Gold and I am here with my host and my one of my closest friends, John Wade, the Garnet Texan and john it's a it's another one of those interesting podcasts where we are joined by a i would say ian am i putting am i like making it too good for you when i say like a a scouting expert is that fair
0: oh no no that's way too kind okay
2: all right (laughs) all right so we're joined by ian wharton um you guys can follow him at let me pull up his actually i'll let you give that you can follow him on twitter and introduce yourself
1: yeah at very least he's uh He's smarter than both of us, um, so we're glad to be uh, graced by him. Sorry, Ian, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no,
0: no, that's good. Uh, no, no, I don't know about all that. Um, I appreciate it, but um, but no, I'm at NFL Film Study on Twitter. Um, just a guy who uh, <laughs> just watch a lot of fo- watches a lot of football. But I appreciate it. You guys are too kind. Well, cool. Well, we,
2: we appreciate having you on. Um, we're excited to have you on. You, you wrote a very, very uh, interesting article on Deshaun. Uh, what was that about,
0: about two weeks ago now? Yeah, I think it was right after the, uh, right after the Colts wildcard game. games. So yeah, I think it was like two weeks ago.
2: Okay. Um, including video breakdowns and things like that. So we will definitely get to that as this is a Texans podcast, but, uh, Ian, what were your, what were your takeaways from the weekend, uh, with the, with the conference
0: championships? Yeah, it was wild. I mean, those were two really good games. Um, I thought that the Chiefs would pull out the the victory um, beforehand. And then I, I actually picked the Rams too. So I didn't expect it to go how it went. <laughs> um, I think definitely that the referee controversy controversy kind of overtook what what happened on the field outside of that. I mean, obviously it was a blown call, right? I mean, that's it's about as Obviously. much of a
2: blown call as there's probably ever been.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So there's no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, it really overshadows the poor game that Drew Brees played. Um, I thought Sean Payton had a pretty rough fourth quarter um, just with their time management. They had a chance to just bleed the clock, kick the game-winning field goal, and get out of there. And, like, no one really talked about it. They, they botched that uh, one pass. I think it was, like, a first down. They tried, like, a screen. It's two passes. And, uh, yeah, two passes, that's right. So, I mean, they, they could have addressed that totally differently. It changed the face of the game, and obviously the missed penalty. But, um, you know, I, I walk away from that game thinking, you know, it, it's easy to kind of blame the refs. Yes, the refs definitely messed that one up in the most obvious way possible. But, um yeah, it kind of worked out for the Saints and, and for Breeze. I'm, I'm a huge Drew Breeze fan. I'm not going to, you know, say that the guy stinks or anything like that. But uh, that was not his finest performance. I think he kind of benefits, and his legacy might actually benefit a little bit from – uh, from that call happening, uh, or not happening, I should say, because the discussion kind of changed. Um, Chiefs and Patriots, that was a great game. I, I guess I didn't expect um, the Patriots to slow down Mahomes or at least bother Mahomes as much as they did. He missed some throws that we haven't seen him really miss too often, or at least if he does miss them, he comes back a play or two later and makes up for it with, with a, a spectacular play. So, uh, But their defense, the, the Chiefs defense ended up being exactly what we thought it was, just – too much of a sieve, just too many issues, too many holes, personnel-wise, schematically. Um, the Patriots really didn't do anything new. They just came out and wanted to, to play to their strengths. And, you know, the Chiefs defense just wanted to play man-to-man. And, you know, they, they've been doing that all year, and it really hasn't worked outside of against the Colts and the Browns. So um, maybe that's telling that they need some changes on that end, but it was a good weekend. I mean, two exciting games. Um, I kind of wish we had some fresh blood. I'm, I'm, I think I'm as tired as the Patriots as everyone else. And that's, you know, nothing against them personally, but man, it's exhausting. (laughs) Having them there like 10 times, like
2: three times uh, in a row.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, Hey, good for them. They, they earned it. They were the better team. I feel like this was the path of least controversy of all their trips to the Super Bowl. I feel like there, there wasn't anything controversial. They were just better. They just they won fair and square. I mean, that that's perfectly fine, but um, but boy, I, I would have liked to have two fresh teams in there.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, leave it to Bill Belichick to go back to 1980s and really just start jamming the ball down their throat. And, you know, coming into the game, a lot of talk was about that defensive line for Kansas City and how, you know, they should be able to slow down the run and, and, and Chris Jones being as good as he was this season and things like that, but... Um. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. I, I I don't like the Rams, and um, a lot of it has to do with like this whole McVeigh effect that is happening in the league. And so entering uh, John, I can hear myself. Is there? Are you? Uh, can? Is your? Is somebody's speaker on? No. Maybe. Interesting. Okay. Um. Anyways. Um, I, I the the Sean McVay effect is really like bothersome to me. I was really hoping that he actually got beat in the first game of the playoffs because it would have been back to back seasons where he didn't win a playoff game, and you know the year prior they lost to the six seed Falcons. But um, I uh I was really hoping they wouldn't win. So now I was rooting for the Patriots because I felt like that was the only team left that I felt could make sure they don't win a Super Bowl and. That'll be the likely case, in my opinion. We're so—I mean, I know there's two weeks. All the radio stations are going to build up. There's going to be Radio Row next week. We'll have a whole two weeks to talk about every possible narrative that's out there. But I wouldn't mind Brady getting one more and then walking away. Maybe I know that's not what's being said, but who knows? I thought it was a good weekend.
1: Why do you hate the uh, the Rams so much? You're sitting there wearing an LA hat.
2: Yeah, yeah, but they weren't okay. So when I was from when I moved from LA to Houston, there was no football team. Uh, the Rams went to St. Louis and then, um, the Raiders were in Oakland, uh, Chargers were in San Diego. So they were about four hours away the Bay. Nobody in Southern California likes the Bay. Um, so when I came to Houston, obviously that's how I became a Houston fan. The first year I moved there was the Texans inaugural year. And, um, I just don't like, I think it's funny because this league every five to six years, there's a transition and a change in philosophy right now it's a heavy, heavy passing game. And all these teams that needed coaches went that route to hire what they thought would be able to bring that to their team. And now it's like, okay, we have like maybe two or three more years. And then after that, there's going to be something new and it's going to come in and it's going to change the game. And then everybody that hired a McVeigh protege or somebody that met bumped into him at a Starbucks, um, they're all going to be kicking themselves in the ass because it's like you, you typically don't see copycat success in this league. It's not the way the league works. Once there's film, things change, and then other people, good head coaches that tend to have good tenure and stay with their team, find a way to fix it. And um, I just think it's a gimmicky offense in 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 LA. And you know, I don't believe Jared Goff's that great of a quarterback. So I think that's a lot of all of it. For I think it's like a
0: mixed bag for me. So you have to hate all of the, uh, the Belichick tree. Cause I mean, Flores just gets a head coaching job and I mean, he's a linebackers coach. So yeah, it's pretty extreme. It's crazy. Like I, that's why like when the Cardinals hired Kingsbury, I was like, Hey, like I, hey, this might crash and burn. This might be terrible, sure. but I love it. At least try something new because I mean, Matt Patricia getting a job last year was an atrocious decision. Um, And and obviously so far that's not looking out looking too you know great of a decision too. So yeah, I'm with you though. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Like Matt Lafleur gets a head coaching job after doing a whole lot of nothing in Tennessee.
2: Right, and Um, then the the quarterback, the new quarterbacks coach in St. Louis is going to be the Bengals head coach. Oh
0: yeah, that's crazy. Like these guys are saying, like, oh, he's going to be the next big thing. It's like, how do you know?
2: And I get it. You have to take a risk, right? Like you're you're going to take a risk and I'd rather do that than hire Jeff Fisher or Marvin Lewis or Hugh Jackson. So you're going to, there's only a limited amount of coaches. You can't go pull from Penn state and all these places that have only had a coach for one year. So it's limited resources. But at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there's other ways to go about it. And yeah, Yeah. I mean the bill Belichick tree doesn't work out right. I think, you know, it's pretty shitty when bill O'Brien is the most successful Out of the uh, Bill Belichick tree, and he really hasn't been that successful. So, yeah, it's just interesting to me that this is the route it went. So, um, well, it should be a good Super Bowl, though, at the minimum. And it it is, I do like the narrative of uh, Patriots success started against the Rams, greatest show on turf, very similar uh, to what they are now. And then here we are again, you know, do they end Brady's reign or do they? Does Brady trump? You know, sure, I can see where everybody's going to go with these, and it's great. But as long as it's a good football game, who cares? But the the league has to do something about this. These uh, referees, it's it's absolutely getting out of hand. Um, John's been talking about it for years about a developmental league needing to happen, not just for the players, but for the for the refs too, so they can call games more. You know, throughout the season, make them full time employees and let them get into the routine of calling these plays and or call, making these calls so i don't know what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah i agree actually, i actually hadn't thought of it that way um i always thought of it from like the talent perspective especially right now because you know with optimum scouting which i'm a part of you know they were awarded the xfl contract for um for scouting so so cool yeah, so that was definitely a big land for, um, for our, Eric Galco and, and that crew, but um, I hadn't thought of it from the referee standpoint. I definitely agree they should be full-time. Like, it's crazy. These guys are making over six figures on the in a billion-dollar business. Um, that should be their full-time job. You yep. shouldn't be an accountant. You shouldn't be whatever else in your life. This should be what you do. Um, you should be a master of the craft. You should be exposed um, to these situations as often as possible. It's a really good point. Um uh, and they're gonna have the opportunity. They've got the I think it's like the American Athletic Football League yep. or whatever this off season. It's gonna start after the Super Bowl. Um XFL next next year, like they should be involved in that stuff because that's gonna be going on during the off season. So there's no better opportunity. These leagues can kind of work together, I think, if they wanted to. And even if they don't, pick the best people from these different leagues. Um I actually didn't know how competitive of a thing refereeing was until I worked on uh worked in campus recreation when I was in college and like the campus rec people um, like the master referees, like they were super competitive because it ended up getting to be like on like a state level and stuff like that. So like the talent's there, the interest is there, there are willing people and people wanting to get in those positions uh, for good reasons. So I absolutely, I mean, just what, what we saw Sunday just cannot ever happen again. Like that was, it's still mind, like, I still can't believe it. Like it's still almost just like that actually happened and not in like a preseason game. Like and so, it's it's yeah.
2: more the inconsistency aspect of things. It's not yeah. even about like a missed call here or there. It's just the fact of like the rules aren't simplified enough or the, the refs don't know it. Like maybe the ref should just form a union and mm-hmm. then they can, they can ref in the XFL. They can ref in the AFL. They can ref in, right. That's what it's called. Right. The AFL. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And then they can ref in the, in the, um in the NFL as well. Like you're talking about at that point, like, obviously, the rules are going to be different with each league. And I get that that can be somewhat alarming. But I mean, when you do it so often, I I, I don't know. I feel like it can be done. So,
0: yeah, definitely. It's not rocket science at the end of the day. Right. Like, you know, I mean, how long have think... we
2: been talking about what's a catch?
0: Yeah, right. Right. It's still, it'll forever be a joke. And, but it, it's forever real. I mean, even Saturday with the Patriots game, the, the two, um, were they Hogan? Yeah. The, yeah. the Chris Hogan plays. Um, I didn't think the one handed catch was a catch but they ruled it a catch, and then the second one where he clearly dropped it, you know, they look at it for five minutes. It's like, that was pretty clearly not a catch, so it's just, and I, I don't want to be the guy that says we need more replay, because I think replay's bad. It slows um, the game down. Slows it down so much. Momentum like my and everything. And watching football, because it's so slow, and like, you know, when she says that, I kind of look at it, it's like, yeah, like, this is this is kind of rough, like, we're waiting 15 minutes between an injury, and then you have a penalty, and then you have you know, a, a TV timeout after a kickoff and it's like, okay, the last thing we need is more, you know, breaks and action. But at the same time, we need these calls, right? Like what happened should have been reviewable in terms of, you know, that call needs to be made a hundred percent of the time. So I don't know what the real answer is outside of these guys being not necessarily perfect, but you know, you mentioned, it, it's like they've got to be well-versed and it's okay if they miss a call, but you can't miss an egregious one.
2: Yeah, no, I
1: agree. Yeah. I mean, that's why I go back to, I mean, every offseason we talk about it, they're needing to be a developmental league. It's not just for players, but it's for coaches, for refs. It's also for an opportunity for them to try these new rules because they change the rules every year. I mean, there might be just little tweaks, but they change them. However, these guys have been calling it one way for 15, 20 years. And now all of a sudden they got to change in their mind what's a catch. So I don't know. That's why I bring it up. And I'm sure me and Ari. Or me and James will have a uh, an argument about it at some point again this off because we do every year. But I mean, yeah, that's why for moments like this.
2: So Ian, you mentioned the XFL stuff. Um, I, I honestly didn't know that. So that's awesome to hear because I, I honestly think the NFL really needs competition, uh, uh, and and we're we're seeing it and hearing it a lot more now with the game's not as as fun to watch and and, you know everybody knows what narratives are being out there or being put out there right now but um do you mind expanding on that and like do you have a role specific to that as well
0: so we don't have much information yet um i mean it's about a year and a half away right yeah yeah it's still pretty early um and, and eric is really like the you know the the point the point of contact for everything so I don't know the exact specifics as far as um, who's going to be managing what, if it's going to be area scouts. Um, I know how we've done it in the past with Optimum. Um, we've just – it's It's like how the NFL works, except for when we were doing arena football league scouting, it was uh, – we just had regional scouts. But we weren't traveling to the games. We weren't doing anything like that. It was just watching the games at home um, and doing our evaluations like that. So I don't know if it's going to be more like that or if it's going to be, you know, how much money is at stake? I don't know how any of that's going to work, but I know we're going to be basically um, independent contractors um, for the XFL. So we're going to continue to be able to do freelance work for the NFL, for um, for arena any arena league, if, that, if that's still going to be a thing in a couple years. Um, that's really, as far as I know, everything. Um, they're going to be doing some different stuff. I know that for sure. They're testing out different rules. They're testing out different strategies. They want it to be um, faster paced. Um, probably more of like Big 12 type of football, I would assume um, Pac 12 type of football, where you know it's it's not necessarily just all offense, but the rules are going to be geared towards excitement, um, but not as zany and crazy as it used to be. Like that's going to be pretty much wiped out. Um, so I'm pretty excited for it. But those were only initial conversations that I had with him back when the deal was announced, or even before it was announced. Basically, as soon as that had happened. Uh, but everything else I think is still kind of in works.
2: No, that's cool. That's I, I, I like I, I know originally the XFL failed and um I was a huge wrestling fan. I think almost all of us were growing up. You know, we grew up yeah. in what would be considered the golden age of wrestling with the rock and stone cold and all that and the Undertaker, but definitely. Um so when the XFL launched it was it was very exciting and it, it's very similar to like well, I, I just finished the fire festival. Um <laughs> Uh, documentary and you know that guy Billy uh, was like toted as this entrepreneurial guy and could sell anything and that's Vince McMahon literally Vince McMahon can sell anything he always has been able to do that he's so good at it and I I really think this this go around is going to be a completely different you can already see it in the rollout you can see in the preparation you can see that they mapped it out properly and gave themselves the proper amount of time to be able to do this instead of just throwing it together the way they did last time um so it it should be really interesting. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on on the XFL? I mean, do you think that there's a is there a way for a league to put somewhat of a chink in the armor of the NFL?
0: Um, well, I'm excited first because you've got guys like Oliver Luck, Doug Whaley um, as two big guys, two key points of contact for them. Um, I think having those guys in place is is really going to be key, and and will build the success basically for the brand. Um, as far as, like, I'm really interested to see if multiple leagues can exist. I think that's my big question. I definitely think there needs to be a developmental league. I definitely think there's a market for it. People are so hungry for football. Like, you look at the ratings from the last couple weekends. They're insane. Like, 54 million people watch that Chiefs and Crazy. Uh, Patriots game. It's unbelievable. Um, and that's with without people, like, factoring in people streaming it. Like, that's just from what we can gather. Um, so there's definitely room for it, I think whether the um yeah american league or whatever it is and then the xfl can both of those simultaneously operate we'll see we'll see I, I you know i i think the xfl's idea of getting underclassmen collegiate players who want to come over i think that's a really interesting x factor i agree um i think it comes down to money it comes down to benefits comes down to exposure uh, they're not going to be able. I don't think they're ever going to be able to hang with the NFL on that level. You know, I don't. I don't know that they're going to be able to offer ten million dollars a year for anybody. Sure. But um, but you know, for for guys like you know Maurice Claret going way back, or Mike Williams, guys who get kicked out of college as like a freshman or sophomore for whatever reason, Terrell Pryor, like Cam that, Newton, Cam Newton exactly. Like he'd be possibly better off, you know, going there, um, depending on what these guys' situations are. So I think there's definitely room you can kind of take on some of the baggage guys um, from college. If you want it to become that, if you don't want it to become that, and if you want it to be more of a button-up league and try to appeal to those fans, I think there's room for it. You know, I, I think there are fans who look at the Kareem Hunt stuff, and when Adam Schefter tweets a couple days ago that he's going to be signing soon, that's going to cause another stir. Some people don't want to deal with that. They just don't. Some either people don't care because the NFL doesn't care, or there's people who care a lot. And yeah. they just—they're tired of of seeing that type of person on the field, and so you kind of got to pick which way you want to go and stick with it. But um, yeah, I definitely think there's room for it, and you know, there's nothing really going on this time of year outside of basketball, um, which I'm a big basketball fan. But it doesn't really matter for a couple more months. Like realistically, it doesn't matter I'm the same until the way. playoffs. Um, hockey's going too. Hockey's awesome, but without ESPN really having a huge contract with it, it's not as big as it really is. It used to be, or as it could be Um, baseball starting up soon, but again, baseball kind of fades off after April and then you don't hear about it for a little while. So I definitely think there's a huge market right now um, for it, but I think it's going to come down to, are they going to cannibalize themselves? Are those two leagues going to eat each other up? And if they do, you know, who knows? There might be a third league. Maybe a third legal pop up right after those two, but I, I I do think they're staying power. I actually think both have staying power because um, the talent that they're that especially the the AFL is getting right now, and then the leadership for the XFL are pretty promising.
2: Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. I think it's uh, I, I think it's a, a very interesting time right now for for just football in, in general. So, um, all right, let's get to Texan stuff because I know now the listeners are probably. Let's see. You guys are probably tweeting me as we speak, as you're listening to this, wondering where where this is at. So, John, we're, are we going to London? Is that is that what's happening? We're 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 going to see the Glitter Kitties in uh, Wembley Stadium.
1: Yeah, we're going to London with a Pro Bowl quarterback.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, Look, can we talk about this for a second here? Uh, you know, I know he's going to get this on his like career stat line, and this is going to be something that's referenced, right? If he never gets another Pro Bowl again, this is going to be he was a pro bowler, but let's, let's be honest here. Like Deshaun first, you know what this Mitchell Trubisky also got in today. So if that doesn't say enough about the pro bowl, I I honestly have no idea. The fact that Russell Wilson isn't that, or uh, I don't know, Nick Foles, honestly, probably would have been a better vote for the pro bowl than uh, Mitch Trubisky. And I am so surprised that, that Deshaun, I don't know. I, I, I hate seeing it on Twitter, like, toted as, like, he was voted in. It's like the, I don't know, it's like a participation award. It's like playing for the YMCA, but whatever. Um, But let's get to London. London's, that's cool. I'm, I'm excited. I, I think it's really cool that we have the chance. We have the star power to to definitely put up pretty good numbers in Wembley Stadium. Uh, JJ is, has already done stuff with, like, Chelsea and Manchester U and, um, Deshaun went over there and did it over in the offseason DeAndre Hopkins is like International as far as his uh, Fashion aspects uh, Ian what do you think about the Texans going to uh, To Wembley Stadium and, and going over the pond it's...
0: Yeah so I mean in general um, I'm not a huge fan of it I know it's good for the league um, I just I, The way I look at it is One team loses a true road game One, tr- one team loses a true home game I think that's really tough, especially for teams who have a good home field advantage, um, which I'm not necessarily sure the Texans have a great one. Yeah, I agree. Um, But, you know, specifically when you look at, like, you know, the Chiefs and the Chargers, for example, I think they play next year. Um, You know, the Chiefs losing a home game is pretty tough, whereas, uh, you know, it it doesn't always apply the same. So the Chargers potentially losing a home game wouldn't be a big deal they're already kind of used to being a home game so it's good for the exposure of the league um i personally don't like waking up earlier for those games i I kind (laughs) of find it to be a really long day when that happens especially because you know college football is all day saturday so i end up getting to the that end of the sunday and it's just like oh man this is i hate to complain about football but man two two days full of football is is literally a a task and it's kind of draining but no it's exciting The, the one good thing is you're on prime time you know, you are the attention of the uh, of, of the world at that moment, and sometimes that's a negative, too. So if your team plays well, um, the public's going to have a pretty good opinion of your team, especially of the breakout performers. If you don't play well, you know, we see this with the playoffs. You have a bad game. All of a sudden, well, this guy's a bum. This guy stinks. And, like, you know, the the narrative kind of forms for the entire season. So um, on one hand, it's, I think it's fine. It's good for the health of the league. It's good for the exposure for these guys. Um, personally, I don't love it. It just inconveniences me, but it's not about me, so it's really okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, has there ever been a good London game?
0: Um, there's been some close ones, but I think usually it just ends up being two bad teams, right. or it just ends up being a blowout really early. Um, I think like what was last year's like Jacksonville and was it Tennessee? Um, whoever Jacksonville played last year was just I think a it was slug- Tennessee yeah it was just brutal yeah it was you know it's like we don't want i don't want to watch too bad court because i think blaine gabbert was in the game twice it was something crazy so it's like no no one wants to watch that but if you get actually good players and actually good quarterbacks in that game um it would definitely help so having a guy like deshaun should make it interesting i always come back to the dolphins and titans one too where the dolphins just blew the doors off of the titans Um, if you're not interested in that game though i mean you would turn that game off by halftime it's just you know, no one wants to watch like a three or four score game. You know, third or fourth quarter, it just becomes a run fest.
2: Yeah, I can't think of like the like being in California and like waking up at six thirty to like have your coffee and like no, start no, your football Sunday. Like I know it ends at like six thirty, which is cool, <laughs> you know, but at, at night. But still, like I just couldn't imagine waking up and that being my day. But uh, all right. So, Ian, let's talk about this article you put together on Deshaun because uh, we have a, a, a lot of similar feelings. Um, I think actually John does as well. Uh, you, you pointed out a lot of different areas of, of not necessarily concern but but definitely pointed out a lot of the flaws in Deshaun's game um, against the Colts in the playoffs. It was not a, a good game whatsoever. It, it, his mechanics slipped. He didn't look comfortable in the pocket. Um, he was thrown to the ground. I mean, what, what did you see from Deshaun in that game? Uh, and is there any cause for concern for Texans fans moving forward?
0: I thought, you know, he almost looked more like what he was in college. Um, where I don't necessarily think he had the confidence because it was just a lot of drop back, try to find the open man. You've got three seconds go for it. And I I don't think that's really what the way that the NFL is at right now. It's not really the style that it's at right now. It's not really his strength either. Um, he shouldn't really be asked to do that. You know, he only had four passes besides throwaways outside of the pocket in that game. And I, I don't really know from a coaching standpoint why you would ask him to do that. Like his strength is extending these plays, getting outside the pocket, um, using that agility, using that athleticism. Um, he's a very smooth thrower on the move, um, and almost when he's just improv- improvising. You know, like that's actually a strength is when he thinks less, he plays better, um, creates those big explosive plays. I just thought in general he he was just a checkdown machine. It was just a lot of short passes. I thought they were, tend to be playing it safe, and I, I don't really blame him on a, on some of that. Some of it was just missed throws, right? Like he had the touchdown pass that he could have easily made. Didn't square up his body. He just rushed the throw. So maybe some of it was nerves, and we saw it with a lot of these younger quarterbacks uh, throughout these playoffs, just either quarters or halves or even entire game where they just rattled. Even Mahomes got rattled this past Sunday. Um, with the pressure coming, and it's just sometimes that happens. Um, I don't know that it's a, a playoff thing, as opposed to just that moment, just that one throw, and that one throw becomes the game. Um, so it was a tough game. I thought that the the coaching staff didn't help him out at all. The offensive line certainly didn't show up. That was a great game by the Colts, but he just he was slow processing, and I thought that that was really more of a, a factor of confidence, whether it be from film study or whether it be just. Um, just being overwhelmed as a team, the team in general just didn't really seem to have really anything to them. They just kind of be like, showed up and said, "Hey, you know, we've played you twice already this year. We know what you're going to do." And then they got out there, and it was like, "Oh, for some reason, they're acting like it's a different team." So, uh, just not a sharp game overall. But I would say that for the entire team.
2: Yeah, I think Deshaun. You know, coming in, the narratives are you know the same narratives that are always there with Deshaun. As the, as the stage gets bigger, as the lights get brighter. Um, you know, this is when he shows up and things like that, and he definitely looked out of sync. Um, like I said, he he definitely let his mechanics slip quite a bit. I mean, we we had Jordan Palmer on um during the off season last year, and he, he talked a lot about the mechanics and and what it takes to play quarterback, and it, it was it was an awesome conversation. Um, but you know, towards the end of the season of his rookie year, before he got hurt, you could see that there were times where his he would not go back to his mechanics, and this game to me really stood out in the sense of like. a lot of times he wouldn't plant, um, he, he looked uncomfortable, uh, and, and he would have a clean pocket at times and it still just didn't look right. Um, I mean, do you, do you think that, how do I say this without like freaking out a fan base? Um, do you think that like Deshaun is a, a franchise quarterback and do you think that Deshaun has the ability to be, what we saw his rookie year and, and what we saw at times this season. And then to follow that up, do you think Bill O'Brien can get the most out of Deshaun Watson?
0: So I think he's a franchise guy. Um, I do think that from even this, his rookie year um, till now, I think that we've seen improvement, even if it didn't show up that game. Uh, you mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, his, his mechanics definitely broke down, but in general, he's been a much better player. I think at, at, aligning his body, improving his accuracy, getting the ball to where it needs to be. I mean, he hit some really tight windows um, from some really tough pockets that I don't really know that he was doing consistently in college, Um, or at least I had questions coming out in college, whether he'd be able to hit those high, high end plays. I actually thought he'd be more closer to like an Andy Dalton type of player than he was a Russell Wilson type of player. So obviously I I was wrong. Um, You know, he's been a lot more explosive than that. Um, Now, his rookie year, I thought, was a little unsustainable just in general. Um, Those plays that he was hitting and his touchdown percentage per play was just insane. I mean, it was at a meteoric rate. Um, I don't think taking a drop back from that is a bad thing. I think it's just it was inevitable. It was going to happen um, based off of just averages. So I, I think is he a franchise guy? Yes, definitely. I think it's just going to be a matter of where he lands as far as how much does he need around him as far as scheme, how much does he need from his playmakers? I don't think he needs a ton. I don't think he's a guy like Andy Dalton um, that needs everything perfect because he's already elevated his team with a coaching staff that, like I said, I don't think they do a good job. I don't think that Bill O'Brien has done a great job of building um, an environment and an ecosystem around him that makes things, things easier for him. Now Deshaun's weaknesses, I think exacerbate the scheme a little bit and the weaknesses within the scheme um, such as he holds on to the ball a little bit too long. He doesn't necessarily read things pre-snap extremely well, extremely consistency, consistently. Um, he can make things easier on his offensive line if he gets rid of the ball quicker. Um, we saw that with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland this year. Is the guy didn't get hit when he played because he was so quick at diagnosing the defense before the snap. So I think that's an area of strength for, for some guys, but you know, a guy like Deshaun and, and Russell Wilson, those guys like to get outside the pocket and run around um, extend for those big plays, which is fine. It's just a stylistic difference. Functionally, you you can plan for that. You just need to have a certain type of playmaker. Um, I think there are ways to make it easier for him to get those easier plays, um, those smaller chunk gains, rollouts, play actions. Um, get him underneath center a little bit more. Um, I don't think that, I think the run game is really more of a factor of his presence more than anything else. I don't think you have to quote unquote establish the run. I think if you have a good quarterback you're going to have a decent run game um, as long as you, uh, as long as you have a passing attack that makes defenses respect it. The Rams are a really good example of that, how they're able to run with CJ Anderson. So um, I I definitely think he's a franchise guy. I just, I look at Bill O'Brien and that staff and I have to wonder, you know, you ask, are they going to get the best out of him? I definitely don't think so. Um, I I don't think he's a terrible coach. I don't think he's, you know, I just don't think this this is the right, you know, quarterback for him. You look at his, history of quarterbacks the Sean is easily the most dynamic skill set easily the the least traditional quarterback I think in terms of play at you know dropping back seven steps play action um, climbing the pocket making an on-time deep pass that's not really his game and that's fine you know the NFL doesn't need more prototypical copycat quarterbacks Um, but you do need a little bit of creativity to be able to say, I can change my scheme for this guy, um, which he did a little bit, but I still think that there's more untapped potential there. Uh, I think Deshaun can be a lot more than what he's shown so far.
2: Do you think that uh, given Bill O'Brien and and what he sees in this offense and what we've seen on film so far uh, with Deshaun, do you think that he kind of goes back to the drawing board this off season and says, okay, like, I, I know what I have. Uh, I know what I need to get this going in the direction that it needs to go. And, and here's how I do it. Or do you think that, and this is kind of where I stand uh, where Bill O'Brien is kind of in his own way in the sense of like, he has his way of doing things. He doesn't have enough coaching coaches in on staff to correct him. A lot of them are probably yes men um, and, and not enough creative minds around him to challenge his thoughts of the offense. Um, I guess that really wasn't a question. The first part was, but you kind of get where I'm going.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I fear the same thing. I, I, I would guess that he is going to be the type of guy who we're just going to fine tune our own thing. We're just going to continue to do what we do. Um, we're going to keep walking the line that that he believes in. Um, I think he's going to be that type of guy, and I, I think it, it's one of those things where ownership probably needed to step in and say, "You need an offensive coordinator." You need someone from the outside, um, not necessarily even someone that you pick. Someone maybe that we give, you know, a list of people that we would like to see you potentially interview and, and bring in. Um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that it causes strife. But there's such a lack of creativity within the offense, and even just the usage of of players and the the running scheme. It's like they have constantly tried to use, you know, square peg in a round hole. Too, too often for me to sit there and, and think that Bill O'Brien's going to, you know, go to a couple of these camps over summer. Like what he should be doing is he should be going to Oklahoma whenever Lincoln Riley does a camp or when, uh, um, you know, whenever like in North Texas, we've got Graham Harrell as offensive coordinator doing great things with you know North Texas. You know, he should be studying those offenses, looking at air raid concepts, um, looking at different type of concepts, even going to visit like Duke, like David Cutcliffe. Who's doing good things. He just created um, or just helped produce a a quarterback in Daniel Jones who's going to get drafted high. Look and see what these guys are doing. See what you can take from all of their schemes. Ryan Day at Ohio State, another guy. Go to the college level. See what these guys are doing because it's a lot more creative than most teams at the NFL level. Instead of doing that, if he does go to these things, I I just fear he's going to be networking and just being like, hey, you know, good old boys type of thing, as opposed to actually digging in and saying, like, you know, what were your most efficient plays? what were the actions that you were seeing that were working what type of deception you know you mentioned the rams you know you know you call them a little bit of a gimmicky offense which i'd agree they use a lot of motion and they use a lot of the same formations to, to to confuse the defense but at least they have something right like i'd rather at least have a gimmick for 2 years than just line up and say we're going to be better than your 11 players every single play because the reality is they're not going to be they just 95% of the time it's just not going to be the case Um, What happens is you end up, you know, waiting for Deshaun Watson to be Superman and it's just, it's too, it's too much. He can potentially do it. He can potentially be that guy. Um, But I would rather try to build an offense, you know, like the Patriots where, you know, Josh McDaniels was just coaching circles around the the chiefs. I mean, they were creating open looks over and over and over again, and they do it every single game uh, with a diverse play, play calling and, and play designs. Um, as opposed to, like, you know, the the Packers with Mike McCarthy or even, you know, the the Texans with Watson is a good example, um, where they're just saying, our guy's going to drop back, he's going to extend the play, he's going to make a big play downfield. Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson have been doing that, you know, the last couple of years, especially if Rodgers has been doing that for a while. Um, It's just too much. It's not a conducive ecosystem for the quarterback to succeed. So, um, unfortunately, my fear is that things are just going to be more of the same next year.
2: Yeah, my biggest fear is um that we stick with Bill O'Brien much longer than we're supposed to. Um and he ends up having a Cam Newton type career. Um that that's what I, I force that's what I see if this is what we continue to put out on the field. And you know, you bring up the Patriots and you know, you talk about like the play calling and the offensive schemes and things like that and, and the play calling is, is perfect, but they also do it with guys that most teams cut or pass on and those guys go in there and execute and at the end of the day that's really what it's about and the Texans have the players on offense to be able to do those things and actually be even better at them you know Kiki QT has shown that if he's healthy he adds so much to this offense and that's I think the really the frustrating part for a lot of the fan base is just the fact that we know that the players are there now if we can just get the coaching and the schematics there, we can see what this team truly can be. And on top of that, like this defense really only has like maybe another two year window before they have to really start retooling. I mean I mean maybe maybe it's only JJ that would be depart that would depart from the team and we can get a younger secondary this offseason and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I just I, I, I actually agree with you and it, it's it's sad. But I also I also go back and forth because what I've seen from Bill O'Brien when all things are clicking properly when what he has, when, when he has a healthy offense and Will Fuller and Kiki are there, then you see a completely different offense. But we know in the NFL that you're not able to bet on having a hundred percent health throughout the season. So what adjustments are you making to come up with that? And, you know, they did some things with DeAndre Carter where he came in and, and made some plays and that's great. But, um, I don't know. I just, with, it's pretty much everything you said. So yeah, I, I agree hundred um, percent. What did you see from this defense this season? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of things with Whitney Merciless dropping into coverage, not able to, I think a lot of it has to do with rack really overcomplicating it himself and not knowing how to get all three pass rushers on the field at the same time. But what did you see from this defense this year? And why do you think that it, it pretty much just didn't perform to the level that it should have given the players on the team?
0: Yeah, I, I thought there was some good. I, I really like some of the things that Romeo did to solidify the back end of the defense. Um, obviously, getting Tyron Matthew and Justin Reed, those were definitely needed upgrades. Got a career year from Kareem Jack- Jackson, so those are good. I thought switching to more of a zone defense really covered up for some personnel issues at cornerback. I mean, I I don't think that there's a corner on the roster that really should have a 100% lock on the roster next year. Out, You know, if we were to take away all of the financials um the contract situations because those that starts to you know muddy things up but you know Jonathan Joseph Sharice Wright Aaron Colvin Kevin Johnson I don't know that any of those guys are really NFL starters NFL guys who should be top two on your your cornerback list and they did a pretty good job of managing that all things considered I mean that that was a disastrous group under under um, Mike Vrabel and so I thought Cornell did a good job of giving them support he had the linebackers to do it um at least for uh, chunks of the season dylan cole obviously being hurt was <laughs> through a wrench into the plans uh, and then they, they had some other issues along you know too that, that duke uh Fort, you know with him not being healthy i thought he flashed really well early in the season end of the year he's obviously not there so it it becomes an incomplete picture but then when you look at the like you said like the front seven so especially like the pass rushers you know it's crazy to me what they were doing with whitney merciless this, is, this should be a guy who should be getting double-digit sacks every year, and, and there's no real reason to not use him in that role. You can easily use three pass rushers. Like, that's not – especially when two of the guys are used to having their, their hand in the dirt, you can afford to be creative of Merciless. You know, Merciless had – you know, I'm looking at 786 snaps on the year. You know, that's that's about 200 less than what you want from him on the year, about 150 less than what you need from him on the year. Um, his playing time cut down as the year went on. So it, I thought – It's really weird to look at it like that, but from like the front end of the defense, you're looking at, okay, this is a really good unit. There's a lot of strength to it. You have a couple of uh, very explosive pass rusher along with Damian Clowney. Clowney obviously had a good year, not necessarily an amazing year, but he still has his strengths that you can build around good linebackers. Finally, they finally have some linebackers that you can actually speak to and have some confidence in. Um, I like the rotation that they were able to build along the defensive line. I just thought, there could have been more creativity. It's almost like the offense. Like, there are good building blocks in place. There are good things that they did as far as getting the most out of a guy like Lamar Miller. You almost did that on defense as far as getting the most out of that secondary, uh, playing so much zone and trying to be more of a bend-don't-break unit on the back end. But at the same time, there was just little things that could have made it an even better unit become uh, a potentially elite unit especially for what the talent that they had that I thought that there was a little bit more that they could have taken.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, it's funny because we've seen from Rack in the past, this uh, exotic, like creative defense. We saw it against the Patriots in the divisional round two years ago when we had Brock Osweiler and they would line up in the diamond defense and they would put Whitney at the, uh, on the nose. And, you know, and we all know how that game went. I mean, if there really was, even if it was Tom Savage, they probably would have won that game.
0: Um, so and it's like and it's like those things. It's a good point because like those things, you don't have to prep during the season for that. You know, that's something that you can just implement that week of. He has experience doing it in years past. It's not like it's something that you have to do. Um, you know, fourteen weeks out of the year for thirty snaps a game. Um, you can very simply do that for for five snaps, or do it pull it out of your hat for the first time all year. Um, so I agree, that's definitely disappointing as as far as that goes because it's 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 not rocket science at that point. You have experience and you have firsthand knowledge that the guy can uh, succeed doing that. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's it's frustrating. All right, let's. So you brought up Tyron Matthew, and I'm not at first when we signed him, I was super stoked, and then. Uh, to be honest with you, if you watch the film, the film tells you a completely different story outside of the guy that does the pregame hype and the guy on Twitter that'll come after PFF. Uh, Colts game, he was awful. Uh, just, I mean, that's really all there is to it. He was awful. Um, can't move laterally the way he used to be able to pre- pre- previous to the, to the injury. And then, you know, there were other points in the game. I mean, he whiffs on tackles. It's almost like he forgot how to tackle, to be honest with you. Um, And he wants the big blow every time, but he really isn't a big guy to be able to to deliver those blows. Um, But then you had Kareem Jackson on the opposite side of the spectrum, who's five years older, but has been with the franchise for nine years and finally put it together because the coaching staff realized, oh, my God, this guy can actually – when everything's in front of him, actually be very dynamic and very good. And he's definitely the best tackler on the team. Mm. And when you let him roam back there, it's like, okay, now we have a player, but there's no way to keep both given mm. this team's needs outside of the safe, you know, in the secondary, they need corners everywhere. They yeah. pretty much J. Joe's the only one that's going to come back. And only reason for that is because he's a veteran and unfortunately, he's your best corner. Obviously, Aaron Colvin will be back, too. I, I don't really know what happened with Colvin. A lot of it had to do with health, in my opinion. Um, but when it comes to Matthew and it comes to Jackson, you're Brian Gaines. Where do you go? Like, who do you keep?
0: Yeah, so I, obviously the first question is how much. You know, the, the team has the money to do it. Um, $67 million in cap room. and But that's going to get eaten into. You know, we know that with Jadavion Clowney's situation, it's going to get eaten into. I uh, – I've been a critic of of Matthew more often than not. And I, I really talked about it last year, his last year with the, the uh, Cardinals. He just wasn't the same guy. You could tell that the injuries took their hits. Um, he started to play better as the season kind of went on, but he was still never the honey badger. He was still never that explosive coverage option who could you know, shut down slot receivers and tight ends and also come down and be a force in the box. Like, he's years away from that. He will never probably be that guy again. Um, His just his margin for error was already zero, and that's just the reality of when you're five, you know, eight, 185 pounds, playing a position where you're going against six-five guys way too often. Um, I thought he was okay this year at times, but like you said, it's just things snowball for him when he misses tackles. He's almost not worth it because he's not a single high safety anymore. Um, He's not a dynamic slot coverage guy because he's too small um he's not quite as fast as he was so when he does lose he can't quite make up for it he's a guy i would be interested in having back at maybe a third of the price of what they got him for um and all of a sudden you start to talk that type of money and then you could probably get both of these guys back because jackson's gonna have to do the same thing jackson has to take a pay cut coming off of that gigantic contract um that he amazingly survived like it's crazy that he got so much money when he did and he survived that contract like he ended up earning it in his last year, but it's just rare that guys actually see the full length of, you know, four or five year deals um, this day. So I think if you're given the chance, I'd much rather have Jackson as long as I can have him for like a one or two year term um, as far as guaranteed money. Um, I think Matthew's a guy you can you can probably just move on uh, safeties. He's not one of those star safeties. And if you're not trying to get a star safety, you can find those guys in the draft. Those guys are going second, third, fourth round every year. Um, and making a big impact for their team. Justin Reed's a good example, goes to the third round unexpectedly. Um, The NFL does not value safeties overly high. Um, Matthew's a guy, if he's not going to be a superstar, I don't really see why you bring him back unless if it's for dirt cheap and you're kind of just retaining him just for um, the hope that he's going to physically recover and get back to where he used to be, but also for the leadership. I do think that he's probably well-respected in that locker room. Uh, but I'm not going to overpay him like they did last year for it. I, I understand why they took the flyer on him, uh, but it clearly did not work out for that type of money.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think the flyer aspect of things like it made sense. You pay him seven million dollars. If he turns back into the honey badger, you got a hell of a deal. Uh, I, I there are parts of me that wonder, you know, if if because when when the league when the season started, uh, the talk was I'm here to just play free safety. But then given the issues with the secondary, he ended up playing nickel quite often. Um, so I'm wondering if you know maybe they say, hey, you know, I, we think you can do it at safety. You know, it was our fault that you, we couldn't put you there all year. We'd love for you to take Justin Reed because I'm sure he he made an impact on Justin Reed. I'm sure a lot of how Justin Reed played came from the Honey Badger. But I don't know. I just I'd rather take consistent play in Kareem Jackson for the next two to three years over inconsistent play of the Honey Badger. But when you say that on Twitter, you are. First of all, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an absolute idiot uh, because he, they love his his hype and everything he brings. But like I said, yeah. when you put on the film, it's just a completely different thing. Me and John have this hope that uh, Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay just decides to write a blank check to Honey Badger because he is like the most loyal coach in the world and he yeah. loves his guys. He's a he's a big my guy kind of coach, and yeah. so so hopefully that happens and we don't even have to worry about it, right, John?
1: Man, we could only be so lucky. I'm. I, it's again. I'm. I'm with y'all. I, I like Honey Badger as a. Uh, I hate to say it like this. He's a leader. He's more of a an intangibles guy. But when he was out there playing, it's just he was a liability at times. I mean, for every big play that he had, there was a bunch of plays where it's like, it's like, dude, what are you doing? So. Yeah, hopefully he goes to Arizona. I wish him nothing but the best. I hope somebody pays him, just not us. If he comes back and he wants to be I cuz you if he came back, you he would have to come back as a rotational player. I can't see him taking the majority of snaps again this year like again like he did this year. Because in an ideal world, I mean safeties aren't valued crazy high. You can bring back both him and Jackson and then just have him rotate cuz Reed Reed's got a the sky's the limit with him. I mean, he had a stretch where it looked like he should have been in the uh, running for defensive player of the year. Granted, he fell off towards the end. You but... mean you mean
2: uh, rookie defensive player of the year? Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. I'm okay. Sorry, I just want to make sure that we threw it out there. So, <laughs> so we, I didn't want to lose any credibility with Ian there. So I wanted to make no, sure no, that no. I corrected you. No, new. no, no. no.
0: <laughs> but it's weird too, like just like from like a roster construction standpoint. This is my biggest thing, like for them entering the season was. They signed Colvin and they signed Matthew, and you already had Kareem Jackson. You had three guys with like the exact same skill set. Yep. It was just so weird to me that they spent so much money, and like you look at that Colvin deal now, they can't get off that deal for another year. Um, and it's just bizarre. It's just it's really strange. I, I get like exactly like you guys said. I totally agree. You take the gamble on Matthew. You didn't expect him to come available. Whatever. That's that's fine. You had a ton of money to spend. Um, and Cole, and, and, but it's like Jackson turned in a year that you couldn't have expected from him. So it's just, uh, from a roster building standpoint, it just, it worked out better because Jackson played so well. And because Justin Reed fell to you in the third round, which is crazy. He should have been the first round pick over Terrell Edmonds for the for Pittsburgh. Like you look at P- yep. why they took him and it's like, man, Justin Reed was clearly better in college, clearly a better prospect. Um, shocker a year later, he's still the better player. Um, they got lucky on some of that stuff, but it's like the process is what worries me because now you look at it and say, well, we know Matthew is well-respected. Romeo's probably going to like Matthew as far as his personality. Um, I, yeah, I'm with you guys. I'd be worried. You almost want, like you said, you almost hope someone else is out there just looking at the name recognition, and they're going to say, man, like eh, he had a good year on a good defense. Eh, didn't really watch him, but that defense was pretty decent. And then they get him, and it's like, uh uh, he, this is like a 75% version of what he was. He can't afford to be 75% of what he was.
2: No, this will this will be the last contract he gets. Go ahead, John.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say Aaron Colvin was the most confusing. I mean, I was high on the on the signing when we when we did sign him. But at the time, I actually thought we were going to waive Kareem Jackson. I thought we were going to get out from a salary cap. And Colvin would have just been an upgraded for a long term. But even now when you just kind of point that out, it's like Matthew and Jackson are both, closer to hybrid players. Um, Whereas Colvin, all he can really do is play slot. He can't play outside. He can't play safety. All he can really do is play slot. And when you have that much overlap, it is, you're right. It's a very confusing on what they were doing of the roster. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I find it interesting the fact that, you know, you brought up Terrell Edmonds and it's like with Pittsburgh, it's almost like if they don't know how to, if it's not a wide receiver, just it's like a crapshoot for them. Yeah, you know it, it, they they tend to not look at production in college when they draft. They they tend to just it's it, what's the buzz. Yeah. And if you looked at just production alone, Justin Reed was hands down a better safety.
0: Yeah, so. and it's weird too because like they you know they, they took Jarvis Jones a couple of years ago. And it's just like their their process is totally whack. They took T.J. Well, obviously that one's worked out. Sure, but he's a completely different player than what Jarvis Jones was. Um, Bud Dupree, Bud Dupree was like in the middle of those two guys. It's like they they have no rhyme or reason outside of receiver. And they do a a pretty decent job on the offensive line.
2: Sure.
0: Um, I think some of that's their internal development, though, too. It's not like they're taking first rounders um, on the offensive line. So outside of that, though, yeah, that's you look at the Texans. Though The Texans have kind of been similar. It's like they've been pretty good at finding front seven players, especially that defensive line. They've found some receivers, although granted, you know, some of that's been, you know, trade or, or free agent guys, but, um, but they can't really find offensive linemen lately. They can't really find defensive backs lately. And it's just, it's kind of funny. Like you look at the holes on each of these scouting staffs and it's like, man, if you guys could just join up, you guys would actually have like a super team.
2: Yeah, we would be a super team. I was really upset. It's going to be interesting to see how that Steelers offensive line performs now with Mike Munchak gone, because I really don't think that people understand when it comes to coaching the offensive line, how much of a part that actually plays. And we're all sitting here in Houston wondering like what the fuck is going on at NRG and why is, why is there no coaching changes? And you have guys, you have Mike Munchak available who has Houston ties and there's no rumor or anything tying you to, the best off uh, literally I, I think you can say the best offensive line coach in the history of the nfl and
1: i you, don't know scarnecki is pretty yeah good. i was gonna say skarnecki probably okay be.
2: maybe maybe skarnecki okay all right all right so bill callahan's pretty good too maybe second or third um and then you have mike devlin who yeah. knows bill o'brien they probably go to applebee's together but like outside of that like there's nothing. And it's just shocking yeah. to me that Bill O'Brien is not ever willing to make the necessary changes to keep, to like build off of what they have. Cause the core is so intact.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just to go to your point earlier, too, um, about being complacent. So this was the perfect opportunity, right? So Mike Munchak goes and goes to Denver, offensive coordinator. Which is kind of crazy because they have a, they have a defensive head coach, yep. so it's I think that's a huge risk. Uh, I'm I, I'm not excited now. Their offensive line's gonna be great, to be much improved. But this was a perfect situation for him in Houston because you have Bill O'Brien who's gonna call the plays, gonna design the offense. You can have Munchak have be the offensive coordinator in title, handle the offensive line. You know, be the run game coordinator or whatever you want him to be. Um, you can give him whatever title you want. At the end of the day, it's still O'Brien's offense. You can get that boost along the offensive line, and like you said, there's no rumors, there's no interviews, there's nothing. It's like this was a great opportunity because that way you didn't have to have him calling the plays, building the offense, and and bringing you back to 1990 um, with a with a terrible offense. So um, I, that's one of those frustrating things where it's like they had a great opportunity to improve the staff without you know really making huge changes. They didn't even have to fire the offensive line coach if they didn't want you know if he's that close to these guys just create a new position you find a yep. spot for him exactly you create the position for him. assistant head coach and offensive coordinator boom there you go yeah it- well
2: and not only that like the texans have literally the least amount of coaches on their coaching they're, i think they're third in and out of 32 teams as far as the amount of coaches on their coaching staff and it's like okay so if that's the case like you could like you said easily create another position you could i mean whatever it wanted to be offensive run specialist or I don't know assistant offensive line coach or he could have been the offensive line coach. And like you said, Mike Munchak could have been the offensive coordinator. Um, but yeah, like, and and then you wonder why these guys aren't prepared and why there's false starts and why there's all these inefficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. And it's like, well, yeah, no, no. I mean, why else would there not be, you don't have enough coaches on staff to hold these guys accountable for these types of situations. And we see it year in and year out. Um, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Um, all right, I, I always like this question when we have people like you on um, because me and John are, are in the, the Jadavian Clowney boat. We, we are true Jadavian Clowney fans. He is the best defensive player on the Houston Texans, in my opinion. Um, okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on J.D.? And then what are your thoughts on his offseason and what, what it will look like?
0: So I'm a big fan. Um, I don't know if I'd say he's the best player. He, he's probably the most well-rounded defensive player. Um I think Watts stats probably are a little bit more inflated um than what I would have guessed. I know like when I saw he had 16 sacks, I was like, wow, like I didn't think he had that type of season. Um, but he had a great he had a great season nonetheless. But yeah, I th- I think Clowney is definitely the guy that they need to keep. They have to enter this offseason. They like I said before, they have the money. The money's not an issue. Um, you need to retain this guy. You can't feasibly replace him. Um, either through the draft or free agency, because a lot of these guys who are going to be free agents are going to get tagged or extended. You might as well extend him. Now Um, he's been able to stay a little bit healthier. He's been able to stay on the field. He's been a good pass rusher. I would say he's a very good pass rusher. He's not one of the elite, um, but that's okay. He's still a very good player in his role. He's a terrific run defender. And I I think people really undersell his ability um, to impact the offense in that way. And he's a unique player as far as his strength and especially being able to hold up, uh, even on double teams. So he's not a guy who can just go replace. He's not a guy, especially as a rookie. You're definitely not getting that type of skill set from a rookie because he is, he has grown man strength. He entered the league with grown man strength. He had old man strength when he entered the NFL. Um, and it helped him overcome more average athleticism. He's a good athlete, but he's not like Khalil Mack type of athlete. Um, I would definitely, I mean, he's, he's got to be priority number one. Priority number one has to be re-signing him. you got to rebuild the offensive line. you got to rebuild the secondary. Um, if you let him walk, I would try to get a, a long-term deal. It's going to be a tough offseason, I think, for that because there are so many other guys um, hitting free agency, so they're all going to kind of be trying to square off against each other and waiting for the first guy to sign long-term. That ends up being a messy situation. We've seen that with the wide receivers in the past. I think it will be the same thing. These guys will all get probably franchise tagged. And then just dealt with later, um, but he has to be a guy that that at all costs you're keeping him.
2: Yeah, I uh, I think <clears throat> you so so everybody knows you live in Houston, so you're you're pretty close in the sense of what you hear and what you know as far as local media and things like that. And I, I think it's fair to say that Clowney is not held in the highest regards to this fan base. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there. I remember even after a couple of games two years ago. So when Watt was out, local media he would he had a solid, You know, he would have these solid games. He's getting to the quarterback. He's not necessarily always finishing, um, but he's getting five pressures a game, four pressures a game, uh, maybe a sack, maybe some run stops. And then the local media the next day is like, "Oh, he's just not doing enough. He's not getting fifteen sacks. He's not doing enough." And it's just like this. What are you guys talking about here? Like, you can't expect him to be JJ Watt. Um, but that's the you,
2: expectation.
0: And even if you do expect him to be J.J. Watt, you still have to appreciate his effect on what he's doing. Watt is Watt's Watt. I mean, what he accomplished there for that stretch is, is truly unbelievable. Um, and I, it's tough because I think Khalil Mack, I think he's the guy that people point towards, especially in the same draft class. I think that that probably is an unfair bar. Um, they're just different players, different skill sets. But, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Clowney is – is he's I think he's garnered the respect more locally, but he's still not a guy that's viewed as um, irreplaceable. And I wouldn't say that he's irreplaceable, but I'd say he's pretty darn close. He's, he's right on the edge of it. Um, you're not finding him as a rookie, but yeah, even as a free agent, I mean, I would take him over – I think the last great pass rusher on the market was Olivier Vernon. Yep, And I would take him over Olivier Vernon easily. Like he is considerably better than Olivier Vernon. Um, so I guess in that terms, I guess he is irreplaceable uh, from that sense. So um, yeah, I, I agree with you though. There's He gets a lot of flack and I think people expect him to be a one-man show because he was a number one pick.
2: Yeah. And I, I also think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we do have a J.J. Watt here. And when you see what J.J. does and he wasn't a first-round pick and he was – you know, picked taken out of Wisconsin and wasn't the flashy college player that clowny was, I think all that combined and you get what what's going on right now. Um, when it comes to this offense in general, <clears throat> you said that the offensive line is a big, big part of what needs to be fixed in the off season. I couldn't agree more. Where do you think that they go? I mean, they have a first, they have two seconds, um, obviously a third, a, th- a third, a fifth and a sixth, I, th- I believe. Um, and then a ton of money in free agency problem with free agency is when it comes to the tackle market, you're either going to get an Nate soldier or you're going to get maybe you're, you're, you're not paying average money for an average player. You're going to pay top end money for an average player. Where do you see them going and how far in, are you into this draft class? As far as from a scouting perspective to kind of have a good understanding on what, they'll be looking at as the draft gets closer and as free agency happens.
0: Yeah. So unfortunately I haven't really been able to dig into the draft too much, um, to this point. Um, I'll be ramping that up here soon, but, um, from what I've heard, it's a good tackle class, which is good. It bodes well. Um, I'm interested to see how, how committed this team is to Nick Martin at center. Um, obviously health issues have been a problem there, even when he's on the field. I think it's probably debatable as far as his impact. I I don't think you can look at this line and really say that there's any cemented long-term starters. I mean, if you could get an upgrade at any position, you should take it. Um, Especially in the draft where those assets just stack, you know, taking Martinez Rankin in the third round, if you project him as a guard, that's perfectly fine. Um, But again, he hasn't proven himself. So if you get to the second round of the draft, you had a guy with a first round grade or even a high second round grade. Um, and he falls to the bottom of the second round, or whatever it may be. You should just take the best talent, and, and you're going to try to get the five best guys out there. Um, I know you mentioned free agency; it's not not a great free agent class, and you might end up with an Nate Soldier situation where he would have been a nice addition to this team. You know, especially with Deshaun, it would have been great if they would have landed him. But I'm I know that they made a great offer for him, and and he ended up you know, taking a, a just a ridiculous contract from the Giants. But I think they were pretty competitive on that deal. And I don't think you can walk away with that feeling really regret. It just would have been nice to plug that hole. Um, you know, if they're not sold on Nick Martin, you know, probably the best free agent uh, offensive lineman this year is going to be Matt Paradise from, from the Broncos. Um, another guy, Ramon Foster from the Steelers, left guard. Again, if you're just trying to get the top five linemen out there, I think you have to consider it. You know, Calamente I think, was decent, especially for the price. One-year guy. Do you want to continue with him? I think it's okay to have a weakness like that, quote-unquote weakness, like maybe average-ish to below-average player. Um, you can maybe have one or two of those on an offensive line with a great quarterback, but you can't have five of those players. Um, does Miami let Juwan James go? Right tackle, especially if you want to do – A little bit more zone action, which would be very beneficial, I think, to the running backs on this roster. Although, again, Bill O'Brien has not necessarily shown to be the most adaptive coach to talent. So it it becomes difficult when you start looking at it like you have an inflexible coaching staff along with a limited talent pool that you're picking from in free agency. So you don't want to blow all this money on guys who don't fit what you're going to do. Um, You know, a guy like, again, Mark Lewinsky right guard would be great on this team. The Colts have no reason to let him go. They probably won't. They'll probably resign him. But again, if he gets the market, you have to have this mindset of we need guys who are going to fit us because we're not going to be the staff that's super progressive and super uh, adaptable to the talent that we're given. So um, I think it's from what I've heard, it's a good offensive line class, which is great. Uh, This week of the senior bowl is going to be big for that. You definitely want their scouts and their coaches all over those guys trying to see which guys they prefer. Uh, But I would enter this offseason saying we need depth and talent at all five positions. There's not a position that I would view and say we're set for the next five years. Uh, If we end up being set at the next three to five years with any of these guys, fantastic. Uh, But if there's a great player on the board, um, come free agency or or the draft, we've got to take them.
2: It's interesting you say that because – Nick Martin to me was one of the more inconsistent players on the on the on the offensive line this year, but because he plays center, uh it, it's easy to disguise that for people yeah. that aren't watching film. Um I I I would I agree a hundred percent. This whole line could I, I would not be I, I'd be happy if we had all five new starters. Yeah. Because this line is awful. Now, maybe Rankins is your left guard of the future. You you know, you did invest a third round picking him. Maybe Julian Davenport turns out to be a tackle. I mean, we did just sign Central Henderson again uh, to a a one-year deal, Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with making sure that we had another guy for depth prior to free agency actually starting. But in the Patriots game, he was – unfortunately, even though it was week one, he had the best game of any tackle this season. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know. I I agree. (coughs) Excuse me. This this whole line needs to be retooled, and you're right. If – Matt, i love paradise i mean i i yeah. think he's a hell of a center and if Jawan james does become available that would be an extreme upgrade over kendall lamb at right tackle um yeah. i've always liked Jawan james um and then when you look at the other free agents bobby massey like mm, okay sure Do you, yeah. same nate soldier situation like you're gonna pay him nineteen, seventeen million 17 million dollars a year and you're gonna get probably you know eight million dollar play out of him you know if yeah. you look at it on a pay scale so I don't know. It's 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 interesting to me because given what we have to work with in the draft and to go based off of the one year we have with Brian Gaines and, and under this regime, he hit every draft pick possible in my opinion. I do like the two tight ends they took. I think that Jordan Thomas and Jordan Akins could really be a part of the future. Two different skill sets. They're going to need a blocking tight end though because they don't have one. Um and then with Kiki they nailed it. Justin Reed they nailed it. If Rankins ends up being a starting guard over the next five to six years, they they got that guy. So um, I think it's going to come down to how much time are you going to give Davenport to develop at left tackle, or are we done? Um, or you know, or are you going to draft a bunch of guys? So. Yeah, I agree. This and I think this is going to be somewhat shocking to a lot of Texans fans because I think a lot of times they they blame the tackles for a lot of it and the guard the interior of the line was okay it wasn't it wasn't great um yeah. but it was also inconsistent so and that's why you saw a drop off in the run game towards the end of the season so um now with the corners though the way I feel I would love to take a corner in the draft um definitely if there's one there um, DeAndre Baker I think would be a, a very good addition but um. I think the free agent class of the corner position is very um, intriguing in my mind. I'm a huge fan of Bradley Roby. I think Bradley Roby is actually a a solid corner, solid man corner uh, that played with Chris Harris and Talib and probably didn't get a lot of the shine that he, he deserved, but he was a first round pick. Um, And then there's a Jason Verrett, I I believe is a free agent. There's a couple other ones, Morris Claiborne, whatever. I don't, I don't, I hope that's not where we go, but um i mean on this with this cornerback class it's it's a very talented cornerback class four or five could go in the first round but that's every year because you can never have enough corners but the free agency class in general i mean what are you thinking with the free agent cornerbacks available and if you were to pick one or two guys that you would want to be the two to build on who would they be
0: yeah so again this this sort of comes back to what's your at corner um do you want to play more man do you want to play more zone um I think I like going man. I think that if you can get guys who can play man, um, it's easier to find guys who can play zone, um, but it's harder to find guys who can play man, and then you can just make it work with zone. So every team plays a mix anyways, unless it's for the Chiefs who just are insane and play like 95% press man. Um, And so I think getting back closer to probably 50-50 would be a a good balance for this team, getting away from like 80-20 of zone. Uh, I love Roby. I think he's a really good player. I think he is a guy who is a high end number two, low end number one type corner. Um, he's not a superstar as far as his production, but he's a great athlete. He's a guy who who has a terrific process and he's a guy who will bear out better results than not throughout time. So although you're not signing maybe like a, you know, a number one um, elite shutdown guy, he's going to be highly competitive every week. He's not going to be out of position too often. And he's physically capable of running with any player except for maybe Tyreek Hill. Um, I like that. And, and that's pretty uncommon to find in free agency. You're usually getting guys who are pretty flawed. It sounds like Roby won't be re-signed um, in Denver. So it's, I think he's a pretty safe bet to say that you know he can be our number one target. Um, you're probably looking around $12 million a year on him, 10 to $12 million a year on him. So you're going to have to pay, but it's fine. Again, you have Deshaun on a, on a rookie deal. It's not like you have a guys with a bunch of t- money coming towards them. And you can, you're going to cut some of these guys. I, the way I would look at that is saying we're going to cut Kevin Johnson, and for a couple million dollars more, we're going to sign Bradley Roby. It's an easy decision, right? And that, that's a no-brainer. Um, I also love Pierre Desir. Again, the Colts have no reason to let him go. Uh, he's been my guy for years since he came out of Lindenwood. He had a tremendous season again. Um, really happy to see him get attention. But they have no reason to let him go. If he somehow hits free agency, he would be a priority for me. I'm with you on Jason Barrett too. You take the flyer, give him a one-year, three million dollar deal. If he's a sunk cost, he's a sunk cost. Yep. Uh, but when he plays, he is phenomenal. Uh, he is your number one corner. If he plays the the season, he may not. He may get to training camp. If he can, obviously he has to pass the physical. But he may get to training camp. He may tear his ACL again. And, and I'm gonna knock on wood because obviously I hope not. Um, but some guys' bodies can't handle it. So I would, I would try to go for those two. I think those are realistic targets um, if the Chargers aren't willing to, to continue to deal with his injury issues. And then I would try to add a draft pick. Um, let's say if one of those guys isn't available, um, I think Clay Borden's fine. He's like a one-year deal guy. Um, good press man corner, but that's really all he can do. He's not someone that you're going to want to hand out a ton of guaranteed money to. He's going to be 30 years old, too. Um, so I don't think he's someone that's like a long-term uh, answer. Then you start getting into these guys who are a little bit dicier. Um, I do like Bashad Breeland quite a bit from the Packers. It took him a while to sign. He's going to be looking to recoup the money that he lost last year from an off-field injury. Played really well for the Packers. Again, press man corner. So you're looking for a specific skill set there. He's more straightforward uh, as far as what he brings to the table. If you could do like Bradley Roby and Bashad Breland. That's not going to break the bank too much. You're probably looking at $20 million a year between them. Um, That's not bad for two starting corners. You have the money to do it, even after Clowney, even after if you add two starting offensive linemen. You still have all the money to do that without jeopardizing your future. Um, So these are solid players that you could get. Um, After Breland starts to drop off, you're looking at like a Ronald Darby who's pretty limited with his size. He's a guy who gets beat deep um, a little bit too more often than what you'd like. Steven Nelson from the Chiefs, same thing a little bit physically uh, limitating with his stiffness, limited, excuse me, um, with his stiffness. Um, He's not a guy that I don't think that they should really prioritize bringing back. And if they're not going to bring him back on a bad defense, I don't really think that you should be too interested in bringing him in. Um, So it's an okay class, um, especially if you're looking for maybe one year guys, maybe you're a little bit more interested in some of these guys, but um, I think this is a team that needs to strike with a younger audience, with the younger uh, younger players, try to build towards the future, get these guys on three-, four-, five-year deals, and take a gamble on a guy like Brett. Brett's the perfect guy to take a gamble on this year.
2: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think Desir definitely, given the, the amount of money that the Colts are going to have this offseason, th- there's really no reason for them to pay or to let him walk, and he's probably not going to get – Tremaine Johnson money, given that it was one season. So, um, yeah, there's ways to fix a lot of these issues. Um, All right, Ian, with what we've talked about as a whole in this Texans team, with, you know, say they fix the offensive line and say they add some corners, can this team go as far as they should given the players talent or is it going to be a one and done, maybe a divisional round and, and and that's it because the Colts are getting better. Andrew Luck definitely just had a hell of a year and he's just going to continue to get better. And that team's going to get better. Uh, They have the right coach. They have the right GM. This is, these are all things that they have not had infrastructure wise since Andrew Luck's been with the team. And then the Titans, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if if they're going to go another year with Mariota, if he's healthy and they finally use him properly, which is really the biggest issue in my opinion with Mariota, maybe. And then Jacksonville will either have Joe Flacco or, I don't know, maybe a rookie yeah. quarterback. Um, so Jacksonville will have a very competitive defense. Um, where do you see this team going?
0: Well, I I definitely think it's them and the Colts um, for 2019. And, and And we'll see maybe the Jaguars end up getting, you know, maybe a full healthy year from Ryan Tannehill or, or maybe, you know, they traded for Dwayne Haskins and and they give him the keys right away and he's great right away. But um, I would definitely look at the Texans and the Colts as favorites because they've got the assets to get better right now. Um, If they take the aggressive approach, which is the obvious approach is the better approach because you look at the Rams, you look at um, the Eagles and what they've done. That's simply what makes sense to do while you can do it. If they do that, if they talk, if they get some of the guys that we've talked about, the Colts do as what they're expected, retain all of their guys, maybe sign one big free agent. Not really expecting a huge offseason from them outside of retaining their own guys. These teams are going to be competitive. These teams are going to be right in and again next year, just like they were this year. I, I think they the expectation for the Texans is definitely make the playoffs. Uh, the question for me is, can this coaching staff take them above and beyond what they did this year? You know, Is this a coaching staff that is conference championship level? Super Bowl caliber level. I don't see Bill O'Brien out coaching Andy Reed. I don't see him out coaching Bill Belichick. I don't know that he can out coach Anthony Lynn out in LA. Um, I don't know that he can out coach Frank Reich. I wouldn't pick him to. We saw it. He didn't on this stage. Uh, now maybe he didn't have as good of players. That's possibly fair. Although the Colts had a pretty rough roster and they, they did really well this year. They but have the no wide receivers outside of T.Y. Hilton. Zach Paschal. Exactly. I have no clue who that guy is, but I saw him catch multiple touchdowns this year. Um, I don't know that this staff is going to do the same thing with anybody. Um, I think that you're right. Brian Gaines done a nice job as far as acquiring talent in his first year. I really actually love what he did for the most part in his first year. And it remains to be seen on how, you know, Rankin turns out granted a third round pick isn't going to make your, or break most of your drafts, Um so I'm interested to see what he can do this offseason. Can this coaching staff and, and him work together to find some value at, at some of these need positions at like running back and offensive line? Because obviously you're, you're limited with some of the assets. You only have one first round pick. You only have, you know, so many options in free agency, unless if you're going to sign literally all of the big names on the offensive line that come available, but that's, that's not realistic or, or fair to expect. So I, I definitely think it's a playoff caliber team we know that they made it. It should only get better from there. I just, I worry that you're starting to ask Deshaun Watson, JJ Watt, and some of your stars, your difference makers to be transcendent all the time. And that's not the goal. That's not what this should be about. This should be a coaching staff making it easier for those guys to be great, um, without overexerting their greatness every single time. It's just, it's just eventually that's going to break.
2: Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked uh, two of our guests, and it's something I've been beating since the middle of the season before the trade deadline. uh, Patrick Peterson is my favorite cornerback in the entire league. I'm sure he's the favorite cornerback for for a lot of different teams. Um, I've been beating on the drum to give up. Literally, I I honestly don't care if it's a first at this point. I know he's 29. Um, I know that he's on the older side. Um, But... I am in the camp of trading for Patrick Peterson. That team is not going anywhere right now. Even with Cliff Kingsbury, they're not going to make the playoffs. Rosen's going to need to develop. There's so many different things going on in that franchise. Their offensive line is horrible as well. They're going to have not necessarily a fire sale, but they're going to do some things that they need to do to retool. And I do, there was already rumors that he was available. And then that ended when there was not a, a good, a good enough offer. And if we're not going to use Whitney Merciless properly, I could I would be totally fine with packaging him and a third, especially given his Whitney Merciless's deal, his contract. It's really team friendly um, to the Cardinals to add Patrick Peterson. Do you see that? I mean, we we saw an off season tra- or a regular season trade, which is not something we've seen in the past. Mm. We wouldn't got Demarius Thomas, which. God forbid, if he would have never blown his Achilles, might have definitely helped. Um, I, I thought it was a really good addition, to be honest with you. I, I know yeah. a lot of people were down on DT um, because they wanted a fuller type. Like, that just happens every day, and you could just trade for a fuller. But um, right. what do you think of that, that aspect? And do you think that that's something that could be done? And then do you think it's
0: something that will be done? So... I think it's tough from Arizona's perspective to trade Peterson Um, unless if he comes to you specifically and says, I'm going to make a a stink. If you don't trade me. I I think I said last year, my price for him would have been two first round picks if I was the Cardinals Um, just because what he means to that team. He's still at a great playing at a great level. He's under a team friendly contract. Um, And he's still, he's still in his prime and he should age well. He should be a guy who 32, 33, you could still see him playing well, um, at least as well as you could expect for that age. Um, that probably comes down now because, especially, you know, during the season, especially for like the, the Eagles or someone like that, like this is the final push. Like this is you're banking on him being the difference maker. Um, the Chiefs, actually, I was really trying to uh, that's what I was pushing is the Chiefs should be the one who does, who does that he would have come in handy this past Sunday. So maybe he would have been worth the two first round picks. I think once now you get to the off season, you're starting to reduce that price. I would say probably like a first round value, Uh, late first round value is probably fair to expect. And maybe, maybe they take a little bit less, maybe that he goes to them and he says, you know, guys, I just, I can't do this again. I can't go through another rebuild. I need to win now. If he goes to them and says that, and maybe you can get him for like a second round pick and another asset, it starts to make sense. Um, If I were the Texans, I would just, I'd be fine giving up the first. I I really think it'd be fine because you're going to get him for three or four years at a high level, which is all you can expect from a first round pick anyway. You know, when you're making a first round pick, some people say, well, we need this guy for the next decade. It's not realistic. It's not what happens. (laughs) You're lucky if your rookie, if that guy with that first round pick is going to be good for three years, let alone six to 10, you know, what you're going to get in Patrick Peterson, the money works out. Um, it would fill such a big hole for this team and allow you to be a lot more diverse in the secondary. If that's possible, if it's not possible, if you could get him for less, if you could get him for third and merciless, honestly, I'd be surprised. I, I don't think the Cardinals would be able to move him for that um, and and take that PR hit. Um, I think they would really need at least a second round pick and another asset or just a first round pick. And I really think that first is going to be big for them um, unless if you get lucky, and he's just he's totally done, and he just needs out, and he starts to become you know malcontent. Uh, but the market's going to be heavy for him. I think a lot of teams would move a lot of pieces for him. You'd start to see you know maybe even like New England get to get involved, maybe even Pittsburgh get involved, um, and then it starts becoming a battle of you know who can who can recruit him, who can maybe even redo his contract. So it could get really interesting because we just haven't seen a guy like that move too often. Um, especially with the reputation that he has, he's such a good reputation and, and respect around the league. It's not like Marcus Peters, where you know Peters kind of forced his way to LA because um, he said he would only resign with a couple of teams. So uh, that really reduced his value. Um, unless if Peterson does the same thing, I think he'd fetch a pretty high price.
2: Yeah, awesome, Ian. I really appreciate the time tonight. Uh, you gave a ton of insight. You were so prepared to talk about Texans and all things football. Um, what do you have going on, uh, article wise? Obviously, you got a busy two weeks ahead of you. I'm sure, I'm sure you're there. everybody's going to be asking you to break down the Jared Goff film and how he's just as good as Tom Brady. I'm sure that's, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be a request. But what do you have going on uh, coming out soon?
0: Uh, yeah, so I'll have a Chiefs piece soon. Um, how to rebuild that defense? Steps I would take to rebuild their defense this off season. Um, I think I have, I think I have just a couple other free agency, and I have a Nick Foles piece probably coming out. Uh, as far as where he could land and, and realistic situations with him. Uh, I've got a couple of college football pieces coming out over the next couple of weeks, looking at signing day and stuff like that for Bleacher Report. Um, so NFL stuff is over at Fan Sided, um College stuff is over at Bleacher Report. And then random stuff's over at Optimum Scouting, although most of that's behind the scenes nowadays. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then I'm doing a lot of quarterback threads on Twitter, too. So this is the time of year where I'm charting quarterbacks, um to get some data on them so i like to share what i find on there too
2: awesome well ian thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it you guys can follow him on twitter at nfl film study um ian we're gonna have to have you on again especially if the texans do exactly what we said they should do
0: sounds good guys it's my pleasure
2: awesome thanks ian